Welcome to the Life Creation Podcast. I'm your host, Andrina Tisi. Together, we will explore thoughts, inspirations, and conversations that feed our soul, spark the mind, and nourish the body. Thank you so much for being here to learn and grow and for walking this journey called life with me. If you're back, welcome back. Thank you so much for returning to the Life Creation Podcast. And if it's your first time tuning in, I really appreciate you being here for your curiosity and for your trust on the things I have to share here. Today's guest is Chris Corbett. Chris and I met shortly after I moved back to Zurich from Vancouver and he gave me the honor on coming to my yoga classes. And you know how it is in the community. You start talking and chatting and exchanging life's experience and philosophies. <laughs> and in our conversation today, we are exactly doing that. We are talking about creativity, the process of writing, and how it can be a healing and spiritual practice. Chris shares his experience as a published author, as well as his wisdom as a practicing yogi for over 45 years. His book, Nirvana Blues, tells the story of three friends that are all on their path to follow their dreams and visions and being faced with life's big questions and ups and downs. And I really loved that I could definitely feel that there is not all fiction in this book, that some of the events and relationships Chris drew from real life. He's talking a little bit more about that in our conversation. And before we jump right into the conversation I had with Chris, a little bit more background on him. He was born in the UK and grew up in Northern California, where he went to the University of California in Berkeley and Santa Cruz. After he moved to Los Angeles, he worked for Playboy magazine, Walt Disney, and on an Academy Award winning film in addition to documentary film projects in Europe, America and Asia. He also owned the publishing business for eight years with a brother-in-law of one of the Beatles operating from one of the oldest studios in Hollywood. Since moving to Switzerland, he worked in corporate communications at multinational organizations, contributed articles and photographs to various publications, and had his fiction work published. So I'm super excited to share this conversation with you. Hi, Chris. So good to have you on the Life Creation Podcast. It's been a while since we've seen and talked. Yeah, it's been a while. Thanks so much for reaching out and inviting me to be a guest. And yeah, I miss our coffees and especially the yoga class. Or class. Yes, yeah. yes. Yoga is different these days for sure. <laughs> So with every guest, I start with some this and that questions. So you just completely answer intuitively and we'll just have fun with those little five things. So mountains or ocean? Ocean. Coffee or tea? Coffee. These are easy. <laughs> Cats or dogs? Dogs. Last point for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Appetizer or dessert? I have to say dessert. Not an easy question. Vegetables or fruits? Again, not an easy one, but I go with vegetables. Very good. Thank you. I I think it's so fun because I get to know my my guests as well in a different different way, right? So I do like those little questions to start with. So I had the privilege and the pleasure to read your book and I love the story and it really like I just said before we hit recording made me dive into that California lifestyle a little bit which I do really love so much and I 
I feel at one point I want to, when it's possible again, to go and spend some longer time in California. So it was really nice to, even though we're not able to travel, like we also just talked about a little bit, to dive into this world a little bit. And that's what's so beautiful with stories, right? We can really immerse ourselves into a story. So writing is one of so many creative outlets one can have. And I'm curious also because you grew up in a very creative, I'm going to say family background. What is creativity for you? I think creativity for me is a chance to get outside of my thinking brain and go more into my feeling side because it's like I'm a writer, but then you think about musicians and uh, I had a voice coach give me some tips because I'm going to do the audiobook for Nirvana Blues. And uh, he was talking about how a singer cannot be thinking about something else when they're singing because otherwise they're going to lose it and they're going to be off key or forget the words or whatever. So I think for me, the creative process is a way to step out of the thinking uh, side of the brain. I I guess that's the right brain. You engage more your left brain. And... uh, that's maybe a intellectual uh, description, but on the other side, I think creativity or expression, you know, expressions of any kind are a way that we can tap into our subconscious, tap into our, 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 like I was saying, feelings and have another kind of understanding of ourself. So creativity, as the word implies, means creating something, you know, be it a book or a song or a painting or whatever. And that's an expression of what you're feeling or what, or you could say thinking. Perhaps writing is more uh, on a thinking level, an expression of, ideas that you may have or something. So it's a more literal form of an expression. But creativity for me is a way to get in touch with a deeper part of myself. And uh, sometimes that goes like really deep where I just feel that the creative process is tapping on something very primal, something very deep, which we all have. I think everybody has a a creative side to them, however they express it. And perhaps a lot of us are not in touch with that. And uh, I once got in trouble when I told uh, a girlfriend that I thought writing was better than sex, which, (laughs) which, You can imagine it didn't really have such a good effect at that moment on uh, our our contact, but we kind of smoothed it out. But just to say, yeah, just to say <laughs> that it's a very fulfilling process. And in that sense, for me, the uh, whole journey of being a writer is something I do because I like it, you know? It's not like I want to write a bestseller or I want to have my painting hanging in a famous gallery. I think most artists are engaged in the art of creation just because they enjoy it and it fulfills something. And like I say, it it touches a place uh, inside that is like a very unique experience. And it's uh, when you can have that connection, it's it's very rewarding. So many good things I want to dive deeper into. But one thing that just 
really jumped out on me is that what you just said about, you know, you're writing because you have something to say. And I was actually just listening to a podcast yesterday, also with a, a poet and a writer. And one of the last things she said is, you know, with writing, and I think it's with any form of creating, like you mentioned, is you're doing it because it's your truth. And it's something you have to say. And it's your truth that you're trying to say and or express, really. But it's not because, like you said, like you because you want to write a best-selling novel or have a painting in like I don't know MoMA in New York. You know what I mean? It's if it comes deeper from your core, then it's really like that essence you were talking about, right? And another thing is that I thought was really beautiful what you what you said is that creating and creativity, like for me, growing up. I kind of had a little bit of a hang up because I thought I'm I'm not creative because I'm not able to draw or to paint. And then I learned, you know, with, you know, life that creativity comes in so many different forms. And even, you know, I always say like even a a manager who maybe has a very corporate job, like they have to solve problems, which sometimes need very creative solutions, right? That's right. That's right. So was it for you always the words, like the writing that was kind of your creative outlet? I tried a few things when I was younger. I, thought I was a musician and I I mean like a lot of kids my parents forced me to take piano <laughs> lessons but I hated it I never practiced so the teacher hated me and didn't work out too good <laughs> and he was an old guy who smelled bad it was just not a winning <laughs> winning proposition and later I studied guitar took some classes and I took some flute lessons and then I realized I really love music, I appreciate music, but I'm not a musician. And so I guess I explored a few creative outlets uh, first. My mother uh, did clay work and had a kiln at home, so I would make a few clay pots and stuff, but I wasn't a potter. So uh, I think, you know, sometimes you have to sort of find your way. And I found my way to writing sort of in a round, roundabout journey because, like you mentioned, I have a creative family and there's always books around and I always read a lot as a kid. And uh, I started work with a business partner in Los Angeles taking part in a publishing business. And I was doing the marketing and the editing. So I was sitting on one side of the desk. And later when I moved to Switzerland, I was uh, the official photographer for the American club, taking pictures at their parties and stuff and writing little stories for their newsletter. Then someone said, hey, they're looking for people to write short stories for this collection. So I said, okay. And I submitted one and they liked it. They published it. I got 10 free copies of the book and 100 francs. And I thought, hey, this is all right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I could do this. And uh, because I hadn't formally studied writing, I reached out to the editor and I said, okay, all these other people who wrote stories are all English speaking people. Cause it was an English spe uh, speaking book. Uh, maybe we should make a writer's group. So we started a writer's group and from that uh, built up my uh, writing uh, experience and 
eventually led to writing a novel. And in parallel to that, I had always been working at large corporate headquarters here in Zurich in the communications department. But that kind of writing, business writing, is a very different kind of writing. It's very dry. It's very factual. It's more, let's say, journalistic in, yes, in one way. Yeah, I can see that, yeah. Yeah. So uh, the balance I was trying to achieve between my commercial uh, world of needing to pay the rent and then my creative half, which wanted to create first short stories and then eventually a novel, uh, needed to find a balance that I could do both. And like I was saying at the beginning, uh, if you really like something, you do it because you're passionate about it. And so for me, I would write on my lunch hour, on weekends, uh, after work, uh, if I go on vacation. So it was something I needed to fit around my nine to five existence. And only later it became possible that I could shift to being uh, a full-time writer. So it's sort of like a journey where I think when we talk about life curation, like the work you're doing, how does one find their their way forward? And if they have a dream, if they have a vision, how do you do that? And uh, I don't want to sound too mystical here, but I had an astrologer I worked with in your old hometown. Oh, Vancouver, really? Jeffrey Armstrong, Jeffrey Armstrong. And he's a Vedic astrologer. And he's more like a coach or a mentor or something. And so we would meet every year and he would tell me what's going on and stuff. And so he was coaching me saying, look, you know, right now you're on one horse. That's the business horse. And you're riding that. But you have this other horse that you would rather be riding. But for you to go over to that second horse, you have to bring the other horse along so that it's close enough that you can step over to then make that your primary way to go forward. And it took a few years, but I think that uh, having a vision, like a personal vision of yourself is like really key there to see where do you want to be or what you aspire to, or what is your dream? What is your 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 personal vision and if you can make that more and more clear you can get there and uh i have to share a quote with you because somebody gave me a journal uh at the beginning of the year to uh let me record what's going on and the very first thing i wrote in here on new year's day was a quote that i had just seen from Albert Einstein. And dear Albert said, everything is energy and that is all there is to it. Match the frequency of the reality you want and you cannot help but get that reality. It can be no other way. This is not philosophy, this is physics. So I really love that quote because, you know, it touches on that thing about if you can dream it, you can be it sort of way of looking at your life. And uh, I know, you know, coming back to creativity, that that's another way of uh, uh, transforming your life. When I first moved to Switzerland, I went to uh, see Carl Jung's daughter she was still around at that time and she was an astrologer. You see, I like astrology. Well, actually one of the things back in Los Angeles we published every year was an astrological calendar. So I see, that, I a, see a lot of, of parallels with there. your book and yourself. Funny about that. Uh, we'll get Absolutely. to that in a minute. <laughs> but 
but so I go to Carl Jung's daughter and uh, she does my chart and everything. And then she says, okay, now uh, we're going to stop. And she gets out a drawing pad and some colored pencils. And she said, I want you to make a drawing of the biggest problem in your life. I was like, oh, okay. So now it's turning into a bit of Jungian analysis. Okay, <laughs> whatever. And so that was kind of an easy one uh, because I was in the middle of a divorce. So I made a pictorial pictorial representation and she's coaching me to make it more visual. And, you know, I'm drawing a stick figure like a four-year-old. And she says, is that you? And I go, yeah, okay, we'll make it a bit more real. Then she says, okay, that's enough. That's your homework, your house aufgabe. So to go, go work on that. And here's my phone number in case you have any problems. And I'm thinking, how can you have a problem drawing a picture? Whatever. So one night I'm home working on it. And I had this really intense sensation of vertigo. And I realized that in my drawing of this person going over a bridge, went across a deep valley, there were no railings, there were no sides to the bridge. So the risk was very evident. And then I quickly drew in some little sides to the bridge and my vertigo went away. And I thought, wow, this is like really powerful, you know, that, you know, this whole, you know, you think, yeah, drawing is a creative process. And when I was, but at the same time, like I was saying before, it touches something very deep and it can even become a process to release uh, emotions or something. Because when I was working on my book, as you hinted, some of it does relate to real life people and places. And there were times when I was writing the book, I would laugh because I'd remember these really funny events. And there were times actually that I was crying because perhaps that person is no more here. And so it became very cathartic. It became like very therapeutic that the writing uh, became uh, a release or a way to uh, uh, make peace with a certain time in my life. And that wasn't the intent of the book. I mean, I wrote the book to be entertaining and hopefully share whatever little bits of wisdom I've come across. But uh, it was interesting me, to me to see that it is, it is in fact, a, uh, a way of getting in touch with deeper emotions. So. And, and you know, there is all sorts of different That's versions right. yeah. of that. Like, for example, one that I've experienced is process painting, or, you know, there is also in terms of writing, right? There is, um, you know, therapeutic journaling, right? Like it's, so it's, it's these outlets where we can mm -hmm. process things in a creative way or in a other outlet than maybe talking, right um because i think that's more a traditional aspect of of therapy is a talk therapy which is you know has absolutely um its place what i also think what's really interesting what you mentioned in terms of the vision and that also i thought was really interesting in the book like each of the main characters and correct me if i'm if i'm wrong but i feel like each of them, they kind of face this dilemma of having this message um, for the world and this, this calling they really feel inside. But, you know, they all have this dilemma of, of having that, but also then being faced with certain things. So one kind of feels like a hypocrite because he wants to write about enlightened living but he feels like he is still in his own journey and on his own process, right? And then the other one is wondering how he can keep his aspiration for inner fulfillment alive, but at the same time, he has this 
dying and deep wish for, you know, building a business, you know, and, and being successful. So I think, especially kind of also in the little bit of the spiritual world, this being successful and also materialistic, like becomes kind of a negative thing to, to living or to being successful, right? So I feel like that can then also be holding us back to actually go out and put our message out there. And also what you said in terms of, you know, those two horses your astrologer said, I think that's really great because for me, it was actually exactly the same. Like I was working in corporate, in the hotel and then started my teacher training, started, you know, coaching and slowly, slowly it started to, yeah, I was able to step off one horse and like go on to the other one, right? Yeah, and I think you you touched on something that a lot of us are confronted by. If you have this understanding of making a better world, and this is a paradox, how can you have a life that's guided by good ideals and yet fulfill your basic needs of, you know, having a roof over your head and eating and all that. And my, my feeling is that having nice things, I like nice things. And uh, I think that's okay to like nice things, to have nice things. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's important, and I'm selling this as a bit of reminder to myself, that you can have those nice things, but understand that your feeling of fulfillment, your feeling of peace, your feeling of being a complete person does not come from the car you drive, the clothes you wear, all that, but actually something else that is, let's say, changeless in that world of what in, in, in the yoga universe, they talk about Maya, the great illusion. And they talk about the world as Maya. And the reason they say that is that in that worldview, we are and I guess you've heard that cliche, we are like uh, infinite beings in a finite body having a finite experience. But in fact, the game or the dance of life is to remember that infinite place, you know, like, I think it was Kabir who said, or Rumi, one of these philosophers, who said, the drop is in the ocean, but few people know that the ocean is in the drop. So, if we are a drop of that infinite ocean, like that quote I just read by Albert Einstein, that on one level, everything is pure energy. I mean, we're getting into quantum physics now. But if that's true, then that infinite energy that exists everywhere, we are part of that and we can experience it. And that to me is what meditation allows is to feel that place of perfection in myself. And then when I know that to feel complete, to feel happy comes from knowing that there is a place of peace that is changeless, that my happiness isn't coming from my car or from my Dolce Gabbana, whatever, you know, it's more a lasting piece, you know, because that Dolce Gabbana, you dry clean it a few times, it's going to be rubbish, you know, your car, it's going to not get through the nest inspection after so many years, you know, these things, you know, that's why I think I'm intrigued by the Indian philosophy and why a bit of that spice found its way into my book is that it is a good reminder for all of us who live in this so-called material world that yes, it's on one level, it's very real, but on the other hand, it's an illusion because one day it will all be gone. I think in 8 billion years or so, the sun's going to burn out, and then what? Nothing. Okay, none of us will be around then, but just to say that nothing lasts forever, but 
if you can find your connection to a more timeless place inside yourself, then those external things are fine because you're not hanging on those for your well-being. And, you know, we, we uh, think we, or we see a lot of, you know, so-called big egos who are like very proud and they become very identified with their role. And there's a funny little Indian story that actually was in my book, but my editor said I should take it out because there was too much stuff in the introduction. And (laughs) it's a cute story. It's about this young man who goes to a teacher to learn about wisdom. And, you know, the student says, okay, tell me, you know, what what is life all about? And the teacher says, okay, well, first go down to the river and get me a glass of water. Student goes, okay. So he goes down there. He's getting some water. And just a little ways away, he sees this beautiful young lady. She looks amazing. And being a young guy, he's like, oh, I got to help her. And then he helps carry the water back to her village. And then... um, He's in love, and they get married, they have a family, they have a house and a farm, and all this is going on. And then one year, big monsoon washes the farm away, his kids get washed away, finally his wife is pulled out of his hands, washed away. And he ends up lying on the bank of the river, everything gone. And he's like, wow, you know, this is, I can't believe I've lost everything. My family, my livelihood, it's all gone. And then at that moment, he hears a voice and the voice is like the voice of the teacher. And the teacher says, hey, where's my glass of water? And the student's like, what? It's been 20 years. What's that? (laughs) Teacher says, yes, you could live a whole lifetime in the blink of an eye, but that timeless reality is always there. So I, I love that story because it just, in a way, that's kind of touching a bit on the theme of my book, because like you said, there are these different characters who are trying to achieve something in their life. And they get lost in that pursuit. You know, one is trying to be uh, uh, an entrepreneur, superstar. The other one's trying to be successful in Hollywood. And they get so into that that they forget where their roots are. Because the book starts in India, where these two friends are actually on a search for a yoga teacher. And um, so that is kind of like one of the themes of the book is how we get lost, not just in the big picture, but you could say every day we get lost, you know, like I have a friend who uh, went to a mindfulness retreat, one of these 10 day events where you are, you don't talk to anybody, but you just uh, uh, pretty much follow your breath as the Buddha talks as his preferred way of meditation and then later i was thinking you know what a mindfulness retreat isn't going some distant location and being quiet for 10 days it's actually every day it's actually every minute to live in the moment well i think that's what happens a lot right we go somewhere because we are have these questions and we are we're looking for answers right and a lot of times those are big questions we have and we're looking for big (laughs) big answers answers and meaning right and I think you know India is a very good example that a lot of you know seekers go because they're looking for a meaning or an answer and a lot of times a teacher right and and that's great you know there is nothing nothing wrong with that 
I do think then also like what you just said, learning that the answer are within us. And I know that can sound very woo-woo, but I do think that's true. I also do believe that experiences like traveling or like going places or or being with a teacher or you know with people in general can bring us to those answers right but still i feel like they're within us and then maybe from the outside they get kind of triggered and Another thing is that what you kind of touched on a little bit is that, you know, sometimes we need to unfortunately be faced with loss or death in whatever shape and form to, and maybe even just a rock bottom to to have this I don't know, like awakening experience or just this really growth experience where when we're in it, we're like, holy moly, what is this, <laughs> right? Like, and we don't want to be there and it's all like really dark. And then knowing that there is another side to that. And of course, that's easier said than done. And I'm curious, you know, also in your book and within your writing. No, I'm, you know, you've also said that when you were writing, there were times when you did cry and there were times when you did laugh. And, you know, for you writing your book, what was, I don't know if there's just one or, you know, what were kind of the biggest learnings or maybe even aha moments for you? In writing the book, okay. Uh, I think there's there's two parts to that. I think uh, one that we touched on earlier, which is this sort of sense of discovery. And uh, as something is created and it becomes more real, you understand more what you're trying to say. So you can better express it. So it's a bit an unfolding, like you're planting a seed and the seed is growing. And that's a nice experience because that means what you create will have a pure expression of what you're trying to say. So it's a bit a learn-as-you-go process. But then on the other hand, uh you could talk about the discipline side, which I think is also important because I I heard this really good uh, podcast recently with um, Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she was talking about the writing process and how the first day you're all excited and you get going and you write this stuff and it's amazing, you're feeling wonderful. The second day you look at it and you're like, oh, my God, that's, that's you know, I wrote that. No one's going to want to read that. It's, you know, look at all the great writing out there. This is horrible. So you get disillusioned. The third day you get up and you're like, okay, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to carry on with this journey and I'm going to shape it and 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 grow this and that then becomes this perseverance so to me that was the big lesson i learned was perseverance because like any project you have you can become disheartened or distracted but a challenge or a skill to learn is focus and Part of that focus comes from really liking what you're doing. And part of the focus is just rolling up your sleeves and and and, and doing it, you know, because sometimes it is hard work. I mean, I love writing the first draft and creating all this amazing story. And then the 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 hard work begins, which is the editing and fine-tuning the sentences. And that's drudgery. That's not 
pleasure. I mean, it's like like a musician. <laughs> You'd rather be, you know, on stage performing and playing and just having fun with the other musicians. But, you know, he doesn't want to be home practicing scales and, you know, studying notation. So I think you need both, though. So I think that's a bit the creative journey is it takes uh, a bit of determination and uh, willpower. Yeah, and if not life, right? Like I was just thinking of when you said about those like first day, second day, you know, what she said, I just had to think of when I stopped smoking <laughs> because like when I, you know, the first week was like, yeah, I can do this. The second week is like, I actually don't want to. <laughs> And then, and then the third week was like, well, might as well stick with it, right? So, you know, it's kind of, yeah, we can put that into life. And it also resonates very much because, you know, your, your tagline for your book is the journey's to destination. Yeah. Um, right? So, yeah. Go ahead. I. I didn't write that. I think I stole it from Buddha or one of those more wise people than me. <laughs> but <clears throat> I really like the quote because uh, it, it it is, again, like you could say an, uh, a facet of the theme of the book that we are here in this world and we're on this journey called life. And like we were saying before, you can aspire to have something, be it a possession, uh, like a nice car or a, a position of power or, you know, now I'm a manager or whatever. And that's all fine. But life is not about waiting to reach some distant goal that then you're fulfilled. But actually, every moment is a moment that can be a fulfilling moment. And I think we modern people, we forget that, you know, we get so into this so-called rat race that we're on this endless treadmill of running after this, running after that, that we forget that, you know, when you look at a little child, the child is just playing and happy and content and laughing and smiling and it's not worried about, you know, all these other things. And we forget that childlike quality that we all have, that we can actually enjoy each moment. And all right, we're in a time of a pandemic and lockdowns and, you know, nobody's really happy about that, you know, and there are a lot of people dying. I had an uncle who died from this COVID. And so it's not a particularly happy time for the world, but it doesn't mean that we cannot forget our own inner strength, our own inner ability to find, like I was saying before, this, this place of peace, which isn't dependent on illness or uh, vacation vacations or all these things and I'm looking forward to when I can finally get on a plane and go to a beach somewhere but uh, I have to make do and that's the situation so it's a bit about acceptance and yet at the same time knowing that we have a choice you know and uh there's a story that went around. It was kind of like attributed to American Indians, but that's how it got told of this young boy in a tribe who goes to the chief and says, hey, chief, you know, <clears throat> I see people and one day they're like really nice and kind. And then the next day they're acting really bad. Why is that? And the wise old chief says, well, Inside of us, we have two wolves, a good wolf and a bad wolf, and they're always fighting. And the young boy says, well, which one's going to win? And the chief says, the one you feed. So we have that. We all have that. We all have the possibility of good and bad. And when I say bad, I mean 
feeling bad about our situation or are angry or frustrated or all these different things, or we have the other side, which is one that reflects more the ability to be content and be at peace with the situation and so on. And so which one of those are you going to feed? Which one are you going to put your energy? And that's coming back to that quote from Einstein, you know, wherever you put your energy, that's what's going to manifest as your reality. So choose a good reality, choose a good vision, choose, choose uh, something positive. And then that will then become your reality because that's where your energy goes. Yeah, totally. I do also think that sometimes to feel those, like you said, bad feelings or, you know, what we touched on before in terms of, you know, rock bottoms or really being faced with, you know, hardship. I think sometimes that can also help to then appreciate again, what we have, Mm -hmm. right? I think also in the time we're in right now, yes, you know, um, it's not, you know, whatever, an easy time, but I think we also get to appreciate maybe more simple things that we may be in a normal time, whatever that means, we don't even think about that much. Yeah, and that's that's really what I feel is this and the word gratitude comes to mind. There's a lot a yes. lot to be grateful for in life. And it's the little things. I mean, the sun is shining. That's nice. It's snowing. Snow is also nice. You know, I mean, just so many little things. You say hi to your neighbor, you get a nice email, whatever. You know, there's so many little little things that how you look at it can be uh, something that you're you're grateful for. And if you start looking at all those things you're grateful for, you find like, actually, I have a lot of wealth in the sense of uh, good things in my life. And uh, that is such a key. And I always think of... Uh, you know these 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 studies you read about how when you smile, all those muscles, it helps trigger their serotonin, and it's like, yeah, you know, even a smile is is really good, you know. And I was just reading how you know talking to someone has the same effect, you know. Well, I think it's it's a little bit of a challenge with this whole mask thing right like obviously when I when I go to a store and I need to buy something and I'm you know making a sad or angry face or if I smile then of course again what you said about this energy what we put out most likely the same energy comes back of course we can't always you know the other person or you know has also their own energy But I think with having to wear the mask, I think a lot of that exchange of maybe also nonverbal communication Mm -hmm. is is lost. Or maybe we also gain more because there's much more happening through our eyes. Maybe there's much more looking in each other's eyes than before. You know, I think, again, there, there is both. There is not just the bad oh no I have to wear a mask and nobody sees my expression anymore but maybe there is different expression different possibility for an exchange right? yeah and I think your actions and uh how you how you treat people like I notice that also when I go shopping with my mask on sometimes you can sense people know you're smiling like people I think it's an Irish yeah. saying your eyes are smiling or something Exactly. I smile so much underneath my mask more than before, right? <laughs> it's like to make sure it's visible, yeah. right? Beyond my mask. <laughs> then, then, of course, there's those days you're actually cursing somebody and no one knows. 
course. So, could be useful. There is everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, so I do just also because I'm just very curious in terms of, you know, the story of the book, right? Um, we touched on it a little bit that, and I, I think it's a very normal thing, but, you know, I, I don't know because I'm not a, a writer, so you would know better. For your own experience um, that came into the book, whether that's, um, you know, processes that you went through while writing or things that actually really happened and then making a novel out of it. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. Yeah, I think one expression one hears a lot is write about what you know. And obviously, okay. if you have life experience, you can write about it. Or if you don't, you do research. So uh, in my book, a lot of those characters are real life characters. One character, the main character, I shamelessly stole the early life story of Steve Jobs. And he did, in fact, as a teenager, go to India looking for a yoga teacher. He didn't find the teacher. And he said, it doesn't matter because I anyway believe Thomas Edison did more to help the world by inventing the light bulb than that yoga teacher and Karl Marx put together. So I'm going to go home and invent stuff to help people. And that was a true story. And I love that story. So that's how my book begins. And I uh, did uh, expand on it and in invent a lot about him or the character he became in my story. I made it into a Romeo and Juliet, which everyone needs a little <laughs> romance. And uh, one of the other characters, this uh, yoga mechanic, auto uh, yoga auto mechanic, guy greg or greasy greg because he always had grease on his hands was an actual person i met as a teenager and uh we were both students of yoga and um there's a very famous book called autobiography of a yogi that talks about it was written back in i think the 1940s and a very interesting uh bunch of stories about life in the early days of yoga when uh, it wasn't as popular as it is now. And we were doing a course. It was a mail order course back then before the internet. <laughs> and one day, uh, and we were teaching yoga together. We were, this was, you know, before Lululemon, before yoga mats, it was like someone's living room. But, we were able to actually cross our legs. So people were like super impressed that we were real yogis, you know? And one day I was with Greg and I saw on his hand, he had drawn two arrows, one pointing down, one pointing up, like you see on a two-way traffic sign. I said, Hey, what's that? You know? And it, he said, that's a reminder of my breath going in and out because one of the things we learned in our study of yoga is uh, about mantras and these words that are healing words or words to focus you, to bring you into the moment by having you remember your breath. Like I was saying before, this mindfulness kind of uh, thing, but this was way back when. So yeah, there was a real Greg, although his story, again, I embellished a bit. And then there was this other guy who had a lot of experiences based on some things I went through. Like I was saying before, I had a publishing business for eight years in Los Angeles. And my partner was a brother-in-law of one of the Beatles. So I got to hang out in one of the Beatles houses. And my neighbors were in a band and they got signed by this guy. And, you know, the, and some other stories. And... My one of my first real yoga teachers was this guy called Bikram, who now is probably a very bad name in the yoga world. But way back then, he well, he even then he was showing some of his bad tendencies. 
but uh, so I was going to to his classes and uh, met some people there. And so, yeah, a lot of uh, real life experiences found their way into the story. And that's what makes a story authentic, because the more real that you can make a character, then the the story gets a hold of you better. And so drawing from your life, because you so clearly know that experience, you can uh, put that in a story. But it, I think it's true of any creative endeavor you might want to do. You know, we all have a resource to to draw upon to to make our expression be it a painting, which comes from an emotion. Like I love looking at art because it inspires me in another way. I love listening to music because it inspires me in another way. And if I feel like I'm missing some motivation or something, I look at what other artists are doing, other writers are doing, other uh, creative types are doing. And I'm like, wow, that's great. They're like really carrying on with their work and, it's uh, an inspiration to me, and it like gives me energy, re-energizes my efforts. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it, it it kind of comes full circle to what we were talking at the beginning in terms of that creative outlet being and coming from our truth, right? And then, you know, you mentioned that authenticity, and I think then it's just who you are. And then it just, it, it's your piece of creation, right? And I also like the um, the aspect of the arrows. It's, it's funny, I have um, a really small tattoo. And, but it means that I don't see the things the way they are, I see them the way I am, right? And that comes, for me, that comes back to this energy, like what you said that Mr. Einstein said, right? It's, for me, it, I see something, but that's my truth. And that's, somebody else sees it a different exactly. way, Yeah. right? And then that way it comes back to me. Right. Yeah, because in the end, it's all our own effort, you know. I mean, we have so many inspiring teachers, so many inspiring books and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's it's back on us to be our own, um, to make our own effort, to, to find our own experience and be authentic. And I think that's a, another good word is authenticity, that we are living an authentic life that's true to ourselves, true to what we believe. And uh, the you can see that in people, what they believe is true in, in the way they live. And I think that there's uh, a possibility when we talk about, you know, all the craziness in the world, that if people were responsible for their own let's say, inner well-being and live an authentic life based on those kind of values, then they act as like an individual spark. Because, again, the Buddha once said, it takes a candle to light another candle. But we first have to light our own candle. And then maybe we can think about doing other greater things. But the first important thing is that we ourselves find our authentic self, find our true self, find our real self, and live a life based on, <clears throat> on those values. And hopefully it's kindness and compassion and truth and all those good qualities, gratefulness that, uh, that exist. And then we're living a fulfilled life for ourselves, and then we can offer small acts of kindness in our actions. So... Yeah. yeah, and I also think, again, coming back to this, that the journey is a destination, right? That every day is 
is different and changing and it may also change. Like what is my truth today that may be changed tomorrow. And I think that's, that's okay too. And to find softness in that and not be like, well, just because last week or even five years ago, that's what I believe or thought or did. That doesn't mean that today that's still the same. We're always learning and growing. That's true. And I think <clears throat> that's a challenge is to let go of the old, to grow into something new and let go of those habits or patterns, which perhaps supported us and guided us at a certain point. But then later on, they become restrictions from going on to a new set of better habits or better patterns of living. Yeah, exactly. And also what you what you touch on in terms of teachings, right? Also, an authenticity also make certain teachings our own, not just taking it at face value, right? Get inspired, learn, and then question, what does that mean for me? Right, because there's a lot of wise words around, but like you say, it's our view our interpretation, which creates us. And we each grow in our own unique way. We each have our own unique talents and abilities. But to grow into those, we have to find our own path. It's not like there's just one path and we all have to jump on it. It's our own individual experience at the end of the day. Absolutely. Wow, so good. Thank you so much, Chris. I love it. So last but not least, and you know, you've touched on life creation a little bit, and we are on the life creation podcast, and life creation has a lot to do with creativity. And it's so fitting for today's topic, because it means how all aspects of our life are connected right? And how they intersect and at the end really make this artwork in whatever shape or form that is called our life. So we've talked a lot about, you know, teachings, guidance, and all those wisdoms. So for you, and I don't know if and you, men you mentioned this beautiful quote by Mr. Einstein, <laughs> but you have a mantra or a life motto or a quote that is right now guiding you yeah there's one that comes to mind which again is not my own original words but I was I was looking today on the internet who actually said this first and a lot of people repeat it but uh it's you're either now here or you're nowhere. And you you have to sort of see that in writing, because if you put no and where together, it becomes yes. nowhere, nothing. So now and yes. here as two separate words, you're right in the moment. And if you put them together, you become nowhere. So uh, I try to remember that. And I come back to my dear old friend, rest in peace, Greasy Greg, who had those two opposing arrows on his hand. And maybe I'll get a discreet little tattoo one day too. <laughs> and have that reminder, you know, because uh, that moment called now is as close as your next breath. And that's why I keep coming back to that in my book and the recurring image of those two arrows is that if you want to be in the now, start there. And then the present moment becomes much more full, much more uh, joyous. And uh, you're, you're grateful for just that moment, just that next breath. It comes down to that at the end of the day. Excellent. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you. So 
We'll, of course, link everything to your book and to you and where people can find you. Tell me, when is the audiobook coming out? Do you know? It's going to be towards the end of the year because now that I found this amazing voice coach, Doc Voice, this guy in London who works with people like Rihanna and Sam Smith, and really amazing, talking about the power of the breath and uh, mm -hmm. some vocal cord exercises and stuff. And I have to start practicing it. And uh, it's what a professional singer would do to get in shape to do a performance. So I'm still active in the marketing of uh, Nirvana Blues. So I'm easing into that and will begin uh, recording hopefully next month. It's on my to-do list for February to start. So excellent. And then once it's once it's all finished and done and also um their audio version, we can update, you know, the show notes and link it to there. But for now we'll just link it to the real book, which is beautiful. I I love I loved it. So thank you so much. Thank you for the most uh inspiring conversation. Thank you so much. Chris's website is chriscorbett.com and you can find him on Facebook and Instagram. We'll of course also link all of that in the show notes as well as he mentioned quite a few things and we'll link those as well in the show notes. It really means a lot to me that you're here with me. Let's keep curating our life. And if you have any special topics or guests you would like me to include here, please, please, please let me know. I'd love to hear from you. Much love and a big virtual hug.